Hi there, listeners. It's Farnoosh. And I just want to say I'm really honored that you've chosen to subscribe to So Money. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there. The fact that you're here is not lost on me. Now, if you're enjoying these episodes and you're benefiting from the advice and you want more, I've actually created something really special for us. It's called the So Money Members Club. It's an online platform where you can connect more closely with me and engage with fellow So Money fans who want to become more empowered in their financial lives. The website is So Money members.com. And when you go there, you'll learn all the benefits, including exclusive monthly finance workshops, private group calls with me. You get your questions answered in our member community. I'm often in there weighing in, and you get instant access to all of our workshop recordings. We have a robust library that's growing so far. We've had workshops on investing in real estate, kids and money, and how to earn more in 2024. And most of all, it's fun, positive, encouraging, all the things personal finance should be. Go to somoneymembers.com and I hope you'll join us. I'm limiting enrollment and doors will close soon. Check out somoneymembers.com. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hosting the So Money podcast for almost 10 years, I've been learning a lot about how to best serve you outside the show. I've begun to offer pop-up workshops and a So Money members club. And with each new line of business, a lot goes on behind every transaction. Stripe helps simplify and ease payments with tap to pay on iPhone, which helps me grow revenue and reach through accepting more in-person contactless payments when I'm out in real life promoting my programs. Tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe give me the ability to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup and no additional hardware required. And it's not just ideal for me. From local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe help businesses of all sizes accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. Whether your customers want to use their card, Apple Pay, or other digital wallet, now you can accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. So Money Episode 1628, what it's like to retire on almost nothing but Social Security. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. We felt like it was important after having profiled people who retire, you know, after saving a million, two million dollars, a half a million dollars. We felt like it was important to look at people who retire after basically having saved almost nothing. And that's where this one came in, because thanks to Social Security, um, the vast majority of people in this country, you know, do actually have a retirement income. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. If you're listening to this show, my guess is you care about your future, your financial future. You've already started to look at retirement and what it's going to cost. Imagine, though, you arrive at retirement and you have nothing saved. Zero. What do you do? 
this is our show today. We're going to talk to one reporter at the Wall Street Journal, Ann Turgeson, who met up with a number of Americans across the country living on just their social security paychecks. They had zero saved. They had otherwise zero dollars saved for retirement, and they're not working in their retirement to supplement their income. How are they doing that? According to Ann's article, in 1940, when the program was just launched, social security replaced just over 20% of a typical worker's income at age 65, probably because they had a pension. As Congress enhanced the benefits, that figure rose to about 50% in the early 1980s. Today, Social Security replaces about 40% of a person's income at 65. And that average monthly Social Security check, $1,900. Imagine living on just $1,900 a month in your 60s, 70s, and beyond. I have a link to the Wall Street Journal article in our show notes for more. But now let's hear from Wall Street Journal reporter, Ann Turgeson. Ann Turgeson, welcome to So Money. Great to have you here. Really interested, excited to dive into your recent piece that you co-wrote uh, for the Wall Street Journal with Veronica Dagger on what it's like to actually retire on Social Security and nothing but Social Security. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, first, tell us a little bit about what led you to wanting to write this piece. So many people in the audience and everywhere are curious, confused about Social Security. Um, a lot of people here on the show ask about whether it's even going to be around by the time they're ready to retire, even though they are paying into it. And I have a hunch that this is you know, probably something that your team at the journal thinks about a lot. So tell us about the genesis of this piece and, and then we'll get into it. Sure. So this is the latest in um, a series that Veronica and I are writing um, where we look at, uh, we usually profile four people um, and they usually fit into some kind of category. Um, So in the past, we have done, you know, people who retire after having saved a million dollars or after having saved two million dollars or you know, a half a million dollars. So we've done these various sort of savings levels. Um, And we've also looked at people who fit into a certain theme. Uh, For example, uh, people who um, retire and then move abroad or people who retire and then they move on to their RV or their boat. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, So this, we felt like it was important after having profiled people who retire, you know, after saving a million, two million dollars, a half a million dollars. We felt like it was important to look at people who retire after basically having saved almost nothing. And that's where this one came in, because thanks to Social Security, um, the vast majority of people in this country, you know, do actually have a retirement income uh, waiting for them. Um, And they don't you know, it's obviously not not great to not save anything on top of that. But a lot of people don't. You highlighted your article quite early on in the piece that one in seven Social Security recipients ages 65 and older depend on their benefits for nearly all their income. That's according to an AARP analysis. Did that surprise you? No, not really. I, I, you know, I've been covering retirement for years and I I know the statistics. And, you know, for people who are... uh, It's hard for me because I haven't done a deep dive into the data, but for people who have lower incomes... Social Security actually can replace a significant portion of your income. So there's not necessarily a huge incentive to save more. I mean, obviously, you know, it's great if you can. Um, A lot of people who have lower incomes don't really have 
you know, the flexibility to save uh, a significant sum on top of that. Right. Well, so you profiled with Veronica several people, including 70-year-old Eric Miller, who was a professional chef, and now he's living on $1,400 a month. So that's his social security check. And then you have Kathy Rote, who is uh, 73 and living off of her her paycheck of 1040 per month. Kathy was an advocate for people with disabilities her entire adult life. She's a retired social worker. If you had to sort of summarize some of the themes along the lines of the strategies that these folks were implementing, are implementing, because to be honest, that's what I walked away really appreciating about these profiles and is just how creative these people have to be to afford not just the basics, because some of them do have active social lives. What were some of the takeaways you found and how they were going about designing their lives in this retirement where they're mainly living off of social security? Sure. So I'd love to talk about Kathy. Um, she's one of the two people who I, I interviewed. And um, she's just a wonderful person to talk to. Um, a very interesting life um, that she's had, uh, which is the case for most of the people who we end up profiling in this series. You just you just kind of like you realize how everybody's had like a very interesting life or, or you know, you know, just it's just been fascinating to talk to people. So Kathy, you um, Really, as you mentioned, she's been an advocate for people with disabilities her adult life. She worked for years for a nonprofit in um, San Francisco area um, that was at the sort of the for- forefront of, um, you know, helping people with disabilities live independently. Um, and Kathy was in charge of their housing program. So she's a, also a social worker. So she she has a lot of knowledge of the world of, you know, how how people can get kind of hooked up with benefits, um, that, that might help them. And, and she herself has, has done that, um, you know, to a decent extent. I mean, for example, she, she actually owns her, her house, um, thanks to an inheritance she got years ago. Um, but, um, before inheriting that property, she, uh, was able to qualify for um, Section 8 housing, which is a federal program um, that subsidizes housing. Um, she also has been able to qualify for federal programs that um, help her with her Medicare costs, her prescription drug costs. Um, and those are the ones that directly come to mind. But she was just sort of a font of knowledge of all these different programs that, you know, people, uh, lower income seniors can qualify for. And there is a, a um, there's a tool out there called Elder, Elder Care Locator. Um, and there's a network of, um, I think they're called Area Agencies on Aging, that um, that can help people kind of hook up with local programs. I actually spoke to this great nonprofit up in Maine that routinely helps um, low-income seniors up there. Um, And I think actually people of all ages get help with their utility bills, which, you know, during the winter up there, they're going to be, your utility bills are going to be really high. So, so that was one strategy that, that I felt like kind of needed to be highlighted. And I was really happy that Kathy was, was willing to talk to us because she was just sort of a master at navigating um, those things. 
And really by virtue of what she did during her full-time working year. So nice coincidence, I guess. Um, for those who aren't tapped in like Kathy is because of, you know, just the nature of the job that she has had as a social worker, being more familiar with some of these subsidies and government provisions. Do you find, Anne, that typically seniors and retirees are scrambling or don't have the, the directionality when it comes to finding and securing these resources, which whether you're living on social security or not can be immensely helpful. Well, that's why I, I felt it was important for us in the introduction of this article to mention this elder care locator tool um, and um, an organization called USA aging, which um, I think is tapped into these uh, I think they're maybe County or local um, area agencies on aging. Cause those are the, places where people, people, those are among the places that people can go to find out about these, um, these programs that, that maybe can help them subsidize some of their costs. Did you find that some folks had to move? I know that with all retirees, they often look at their financial picture and think about where they live. It's such a huge variable, costly variable, especially if they're um, looking to still live where they were, say, raising their kids and the property taxes were high. What role did their location play in their ability to afford life on Social Security? Oh, on Social Security. Well, you know, I would say in general, um, it's it's been very eye opening to me to see how well it works for people who retire or who worked for years and raised their kids in high cost parts of the country, for example, the New York metropolitan area. And then in retirement, they move somewhere else. So there was a man I spoke to who retired with a million dollars in savings, but he moved from uh, the New York metropolitan area to North Carolina and his property taxes went from uh, around $15,000 a year. This was back like maybe 15 years ago. Um, and in North Carolina, I think they're more like, I can't remember the exact number, but more like four or $5,000 a year. So right there, that just shows you how um, helpful it can be to move to a cheaper part of the country. Um, you know, some of the, the big ticket expenses like property taxes. I mean, you know, for people who are living on Social Security, maybe they're renting, but still there, there are going to be like ways that, you know, cost of living wise that they can they can save um, by by moving to a cheaper part of the country. And I think a lot of people do that in retirement. I, I don't know the fraction. You know, it's certainly probably far less than half because people, um you know, if you live in a certain area, your friends and maybe a lot of your relatives are there. So there's a lot of incentives to stay in a high cost area. But but that's that's certainly a very, very powerful strategy. Going back to Kathy, you profiled her. She lives in Tucson. She's the retired social worker who is disabled. I just want to recap for listeners some of the ways that she's been able to make ends meet. So you mentioned she had an inheritance. She bought a home with about $60,000 that her uncle left her. She has no debt. And because of her age and her income, she gets discounts on her property taxes, utilities, wireless bills. You said that she spends about $135 a month for gas and electric and phone service. She spends about $200 a month on food. When you, when you spoke with her, what was the sense that you got in terms of how she's enjoying her life? Does she feel like retirement's been fulfilling? Oh, she's, yeah, I think she really is. I mean, she has, um, she had polio as a, as an infant actually. Um, 
And so um, she's always had to get around with the aid of um, crutches when she was young. And now she has a motorized wheelchair. She um, actually had to stop working, um, I believe, in her mid 40s because of something called post polio syndrome, which was it really was sort of, a, um, I think, very draining and, and exhausting. And so she found it hard to have the stamina to work eight hours a day. But she's she's got this just like very, very um, upbeat um, mentality. She's she's very can do. She has a um, it, it's an old van, but it's equipped with a, a lift for her wheelchair. So she is able to, you know, get around run her own errands. Um, she's very independent and that's, um, been a theme throughout her life. She also, um, interestingly, before she got recruited to work at the nonprofit for people with disabilities in California, she, um, she was a folk singer and this was back in the seventies and she was very involved. She had gone to college in the Tucson area. She was very involved in the folk music scene there. And so like, like with many retirees where, you know, you have an interest early in life. I mean, she was actually considering becoming a folk singer, you know, as her profession. <laughs> so obviously she was quite good. Um, and, you know, a lot of people who put aside interests when they're young to pursue a career, they, they return to that later in life. And she did when she came back to Tucson, she got very plugged into the folk music um, scene again. And, and she loves, um, having friends and, you know, come over and they have dinner on her patio. They sing, they, um, they have a good time. Um, and, uh, and she's been also just very involved in, um, in her neighborhood. And so she needs some help a couple hours a week. And she got hooked up with um, a program, I believe through Medicaid, but I'm not positive that enables her to get some help and get reimbursed for some of the costs involved. Um, and so she's made it a practice to hire um, people who she knows from the neighborhood. So that's been two twofold purpose. One is that she gets the help she needs. The second is that she's really getting to know her neighbors and she's really enjoyed that. And you know, some of her neighbors have needed help in turn. Like there was a woman who's helped her who um, was moving. And so Kathy um, helped her out by, um, you know, helping her move using Kathy's van. So I, I think her life is very, is very full. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Did you know that I'm a podcast host and also a mind reader? Because I know that you want to grow your portfolio, to deal with the rising costs of inflation, to pay off your debt or your mortgage. You want to attack pretty much anything standing in the way of you and your financial freedom, right? Well, here's one solution, more knowledge. This podcast helps, I hope. 
And you can use Yahoo Finance, where you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need to help reach your definition of financial freedom. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, and I know because I worked there for many years, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, customizable charts, so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. For the longest time, I dreaded buying bras. It was like shopping for jeans. Impossible. You want a bra that's sexy? You want a bra that's comfortable? You can't have both. Well, now you can, thanks to Third Love. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, the ick, the ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem or problem. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school. Get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made with premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with the code podcast15. The weather's getting warmer as I record. It's a nice 73 degrees on the East Coast. So finally, time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and fingers crossed hello to shorts and tees. And I need to update my wardrobe for the long haul. And you know, I don't want to spend a fortune. So luckily I found Quince. I'm honest. I've got a lineup of timeless pieces from Quince that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm talking premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karakol jewelry, and tons more. Best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. I have t-shirts from Quince, pajamas from Quince, my very chic and fashionable sister-in-law, Hannah, her whole closet is Quince. And people often stop us and ask, where did you get this? Don't tell me the price. And then when I do, they're shopping on Quince.com. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash so money for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash so money to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash so money. You bring up a really important point about getting to know your neighbors. You know, I was reporting on climate change and the cost of climate change a couple of years ago. And what I learned is that it's really important for retirees, as especially if they're looking to relocate, they're getting older, to go to areas where there is infrastructure for disaster relief, that they know they have ways to communicate and connect with members of the community who can help them. There are pipelines, there are accessible resources, especially if you're disabled or you live alone and you may not have someone to immediately go to for necessities. I think AARP actually ranks towns across America based on this disaster preparedness um, as it would relate to somebody who's um, retired. Let's talk about some of the other folks you profiled with Veronica. I'm looking right now at Joyce McKinney, 77. 
You write that she's living off of $1,800 a month. That's her social security check. She lives in Philadelphia and she's doing this mainly by downsizing. She pays um, $343 a month for a storage unit and then her rent is $584 per month. She subsidizes her senior transportation for a dollar a ride, um, which helps her get to most places. Her food budget is $200 a month. Yeah, I think Joyce... She's very involved in a senior center there. If I remember, this was not one of my interviews, but she, um, yeah, she also seemed like a very positive can-do um, woman. And I believe her husband died and left her a widow. And, um, you know, she was forced to sell their home um, and to low-income senior housing. Um, so uh, she discovered, I believe, the senior center where I think she spends a lot of time and that offers her um, either um, very low cost source of, of food um, that she and, and also just like a network of friends and, and activities uh, that she seems to really enjoy. Um, but yeah, again, I feel like this one of the strategies that she was able to tap into there is, you know, is in some cases like subsidies for some of the critical expenses that people have, such as housing and food. Were you able to see how well or if at all these seniors were able to save money? Because it's still important, right, to save in retirement for unexpected costs. I know some in my world who are in their 70s and older have reserves for funeral costs, for example. Did you have those conversations? Do they feel prepared for what ifs? So this is, um, again, where I was so impressed with Kathy because, I mean, she has these um, property taxes that she has to pay, right? And, and she already gets a subsidy by virtue of being, I believe, her age um, and possibly her age and income. So, um, you know, she's, she's done what she can to kind of reduce those costs, but, but usually property taxes are paid, you know, once a year, maybe once every six months, depending on the, the locality. And so that's where people can really get, have trouble, right? I mean, if they don't budget for that, then, you know, when it comes time to pay the property taxes, you know, maybe they don't have enough money in that account. So Kathy um, is very careful to, to set aside that, that money every month to make sure that she has it there when she needs to pay. Because once you get behind on your property taxes, then, you know, then you are at risk of potentially being evicted at some point. So, um, so yeah, so, so that was... That was one example um, of, uh, you know, and I, I do think it's when you're talking about people um, living on Social Security benefits, that's where I think cost of living can really come into play. I have spoken to people who are living on Social Security benefits in, in like pretty um, inexpensive parts of the country, and they might have an easier job putting some money aside on a social security type budget. But, you know, um, in, in a place like Philadelphia, I could only imagine that would be pretty difficult. Um, but I, I can't speak to whether Joyce did or not. I'm just, you know, saying there's a real difference in cost of living there between, say, Tucson and, and Philadelphia. I will say, too, that what really struck me with Joyce's profile, again, Joyce is the single woman living in Philly on 1800 a month. You mentioned that her husband died unexpectedly and she had to sort of she had to learn how to acclimate to that financially and, and in other ways. But she had regrets like she didn't realize that boosting her earnings during her working years could have raised her Social Security benefits. She wished she had had more literacy. She would have gone for bigger jobs that paid more or had asked for raises. She regrets not pursuing higher education. So maybe she could earn more. When you interviewed people for your article, did you feel like they thought, you know, this wasn't 
supposed to be the plan. I didn't think I was going to have to simply live on social security. I think one person thought he was just going to continue working in, in retirement, but then his body gave out because it's hard as you get older. You think you imagine you're going to be able to do all of these things. In hindsight, did you talk about some of the steps they wish they had taken or thought about prior to retiring so they wouldn't have to be on such strict budgets? Yeah, I think I think it's very common. That was Eric, um, who thought he was going to be able to work for longer than he ended up being able to. He had he was the chef. Um, that's obviously a very physically demanding job. Um, so yeah, and that happens a lot. You see that in the national statistics. Um, there's a, a survey that I follow that you know is very. It's a very good representative sample of people. They've been doing it for years and years. Uh, I think since the early nineties and every single year I see in the statistics, you know, that people who retired expected that they were going to work um, a couple of years longer than they actually did. I mean, things come up if, if not for the retiree themselves, some kind of uh, health issue or physical limitation, often people have to retire early to take care of relatives who are having, you know, health problems. Um, and also there's, there's layoffs that happen and it's harder for older people to find uh, to find employment once they're unemployed. So, so there are a number of factors and that, that actually is quite common. Um, uh, so, so yes, I think, um, there are, there, the topic of regrets came up with some of these people and, but not with others. Um, so Joyce, yes, she had that regret. Um, you know, I do, I do think it's important to point out that people who are married, have the advantage of being able to, while both spouses are alive, you obviously draw, can draw social security from both of their earnings records. Um, when the first spouse dies, the higher benefit goes to the survivor. So there is a little bit of a built into social security, a little bit of a cushion for people who are um, widows or widowers in that regard. Um, so she, you know, Joyce did have these regrets about education level and, 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 you know, that maybe she would have benefited from pursuing higher paid jobs. Um, uh, there's another woman I spoke to, Barbara. Barbara Talisman, 63. She's a self-described nomad. <laughs> Yeah, she really was sort of an outlier in this group, um, both because of her age, because she was younger, uh, and and also because of her her approach. She um, she actually had quite well paying jobs. She's a college graduate, um, uh, uh, and but she just she never really saved. Um, a significant amount for most of her career. She and her ex-husband had this very, um, I mean, they loved to travel and they just had an attitude where, you know, if they had, you know, extra money, they would jump on a plane and go to Paris for the weekend and they would go to Australia on vacation. <laughs> they lived in Chicago. So they were just constantly looking for ways to get out of the, the cold weather. And, um, and she just, that that is her passion through and through for her whole life is traveling. And so she gets to retirement and she has some money that that she's managed to put away. Um, actually, in the course of talking to her, as the market went up and up and up, her 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 nest egg went from something I can't remember the exact numbers, but something like one hundred and thirty thousand to, you know, in the upper hundred hundred thousands. Um so her strategy is not to draw too much on that nest egg. I mean, she does draw 
um, I think it worked out to be like an average of $800 a month from, from her, her savings, which is, you know, not insignificant. And then she has her social security on top of that. But her strategy was to cut out housing entirely. Um, she is a nomad and she, um, through various websites, she will um, house it for people and through word of mouth. And so sometimes she ends up. Without- you can go on a 90 day cruise, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's a thing. Yes. Yes. And she's launching a career as a, a, a sort of a side gig as a travel agent. So, um, yes. <laughs> so she, you know, she is kind of traveling um, at length. She went to Australia one winter and she was house sitting for most of that. So she will look for these house sitting gigs to you know, trade her labor in terms of taking care of somebody's house, often pets. And I just want to let everyone know that you can go onto the social security website, so much fun, ssa.gov and see your estimated social security monthly payments in retirement. They do the calculations for you based on your work history, your future work, and when you want to start collecting. I can call this fun, right? It's always fun to go and see like, what am I going to make in my future? And do I believe that we'll be getting this? Yes, I better be. Because if not, I mean, I've been paying into this for 20 years. If, if we're not getting this, if I'm not getting this, there's, I'm going to be wreaking havoc. There, there will be, there will be pitchforks in the streets. Well, I, exactly. I mean, that is the point, right? That I think that, um, Congress is going to be reluctant to mess too much with with the benefits of people who've already paid in, especially those who've paid in for years. Um, and historically, actually, I read an article about this because there are a lot of people out there who have this idea that they need to claim the moment they become eligible at age 62, because otherwise they're, they're fearful that somehow the money is going to be taken away from them. And um, it's it's a little bit of a complicated, nuanced story, but if you look back to the 80s um, when Congress last um, kind of changed, uh, did a, an effort, a run at, you know, at help buttressing Social Security's um, finances, um, they did take away, they did whittle away a little bit of the benefits of people who were already claiming Social Security, but by and large, they they really did not mess with that. And people who claimed early, you know, uh, that that's not necessarily all that protective. I think people really need to think about the value of delaying Social Security because, you know, for every year that you delay, they adjust your benefits upwards by somewhere between six and 8%. That's, that's a guaranteed or very close to a guaranteed six to 8% increase per year. In addition to the cost of living, the, the, the inflation increase that social security builds in. So it's very, it's a very attractive strategy to wait to claim if you can afford to. Yes. That's a really important point. Thank you for raising that. And thank you so much for this series and please keep us in touch. We'd love to get a closer look at all of your real life stories because there's nothing more inspiring than hearing how people are, are making ends meet and then some potentially. I really just once again, love how creative and resourceful these seniors that you found are being. They're doing the unimaginable, which is living on their social security checks. Everybody, if you want to read the article, I've got it linked in our show notes. Thanks so much, Anne. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. 
Thanks so much to Ann Turgeson for joining us. The Wall Street Journal piece that she and Veronica Dagger wrote is called, Here's What It's Like to Retire on Almost Nothing But Social Security. That article linked in our show notes. Also in our show notes, if you're interested in getting more advice from me, more access to me, and connecting with like-minded peers who care about their financial wellness, I have something very special that I've developed. For a limited time, you can enroll in my So Money Members Club. Every month, I'm going to be offering free live financial trainings, a live office hour where you can walk in and ask me anything you want. Everything's recorded. There's also lots of engagement and questions getting answered in our online community. Check out somoneymembers.com for all the information and to secure your spot today. Thanks for tuning in. I'll be back here on Friday for Ask Farnoosh. I hope your day is so money. Hosting the So Money podcast for almost 10 years, I've been learning a lot about how to best serve you outside the show. I've begun to offer pop-up workshops and a So Money members club. And with each new line of business, a lot goes on behind every transaction. Stripe helps simplify and ease payments with tap to pay on iPhone, which helps me grow revenue and reach through accepting more in-person contactless payments when I'm out in real life promoting my programs. Tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe give me the ability to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup and no additional hardware required. And it's not just ideal for me. From local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe help businesses of all sizes accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. Whether your customers want to use their card, Apple Pay, or other digital wallet, now you can accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach Visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 